Mini episode 1124 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge mini-episode number 1124. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris here. Two of our favorites back in. These are especially two of our favorites when we can get them together. You can catch these gentlemen regularly, of course, on their own podcast, Callous Remarks. Of course, good friends Steve Callis and Joe Stazak. You can also hear having uh, Steve make appearances with him. 97.5 The Fanatic in Philadelphia, Joe's great show that he has there. And uh, again, it is uh, always a pleasure to get these guys on together. Uh, Steve Callis, longtime contributor, one of our longest-running FDH Lounge dignitaries. How are you, my man? All good. Looking forward to doing this with both of you guys. Excellent. And uh, good friend... Joe Stazak, longtime media heavyweight in Philadelphia. How are you, my friend? I'm doing the boys. Love to uh, do the show with you guys. Looking forward to it. Oh, this is going to be uh, great to break down. And again, as I mentioned off air, I'm going to be in a good mood on this one. I'm going to be in a real good mood on the next one here. Uh, very rarely do I get the daily doubles, Stanley Cup Finals and the NBA Finals going my way. But uh, anytime a Boston team goes down in any sport, I am there for it. And, uh, again, I was kind of pessimistic heading into the finals uh, because, again, it, it has really kind of seemed like in recent years that the team that is more experienced at this level has really done better. And for St. Louis, again, outside of the 2016 Western Conference Finals, they had, they've they been a team, they're in it every year, they just never make it to the very end. And, uh, boy, Washington wins it in 2018, St. Louis wins it in 2019. I guess the San Jose Sharks are the undisputed choking champions of the NHL in this era right here and now because uh, St. Louis just buried their jinx, made it through. In our final FDH Lounge uh, Ultimate uh, Quantitative uh, Baseline Ratings coming into the playoffs this year, first time we did this, uh, adding up the uh, the rankings in a lot of different categories, one of the things that kind of jumped out coming in was that Boston was only 19th in even-strength goals during the regular season. St. Louis was 16th, so they were relatively close together, but Boston was worse, and they struggled at even-strength in the finals. Only when they were getting the whistles going their way, which to my cynical eye was a lot of the time, were they able to get some goals scored here. But uh, I'll start with you, Steve, in terms of looking at this. You had coming into the, the, the finals here this narrative on the one hand. Boston was uh, going to be dealing with a lot of rest, such that, uh, again, they could really struggle with that. And it's funny because uh, there was that whole daisy chain of sweeps that happened in the, uh, the Eastern Conference here. Islanders sweep uh, Pittsburgh. They get swept by Carolina. They get swept by Boston. Boston gets a lot of rest there. They took St. Louis uh, to the seven games, and they, they came back in game six. They were down 3-2. So you would expect more of the problems, I guess, to manifest early on if they were going to be dealing with rust. But for St. Louis, it was goal differential. Rarely does a team win the cup when they just kind of eke by in goal differential in the finals. 
So one of those things was bound to work against one of those two teams. I'm not sure it was Russ that took down Boston, but St. Louis uh, edges by with a very, very tiny goal differential, almost historically low for a cup champion. Uh, It was a great matchup on paper. It was great to see how it played out. And, uh, Steve, seven thrilling games. And, uh, again, St. Louis finally breaks through in the end. Well, I think your best point was the five-on-five point. I mean, Marcin, Bergeron, Pasternak, uh, arguably the best line in the playoffs, maybe the best line in the league, did not score one even strength goal in these playoffs, uh, in these finals. And I think that was a key to what happened, maybe the biggest key. And interestingly, Marcin, as good as he is, you heard that stat probably uh, when he scores, in his playoff career in Boston, the Bruins are 24-1. and one. But he only had two goals in the finals, and one was an empty netter. So I think tying up that line, um, which is why I'm sure we'll talk about the Cotton Smythe, which is certainly one reason I thought Bennington, I thought they should have been uh, co-Cotton Smythe winners, Ryan O'Reilly and Bennington, but we'll get to that later. But I thought that was the key. I will have to point out, even though I know you're very happy uh, I do have to point out in the key game five, uh, uh, there was a play, an uncalled tripping penalty when Tyler Bosa clearly tripped Noah Arciari right in front of the referee uh, when Boston was down one nothing, and they would have had a power play, uh, which of course was their bread and butter. Not only did the ref not see it, and even though he was right there, David Perron got the puck went to the net and scored a goal that made it 2 nothing. And you know what the stats are in Game 5. I don't know, though. Game 5 winner wins 75 or 80% when they go up 3-2, whatever it is. Uh, I thought that one play was almost, and I said this with Joe, of course, was almost uh, like a Raiders, uh, uh, not a Raiders, like a New Orleans non-call on the pass interference that didn't happen right in front of the two referees. I thought it was that bad. On top of that, in Game 5, uh, Barbashev, uh, who did not get a penalty, uh, he cross-checked somebody or hit somebody in the head. Uh, I think it was Matt... Um, no, I don't remember who he hit. But he was suspended for Game 6. Oh, he hit Marius Johansson. He was suspended for Game 6. It wasn't even called a penalty in Game 5. So... Uh, I thought Game 5 was the obviously biggest game whenever it's 2-2. Game 5 is the biggest game unless you get to Game 7. And I thought that really was a black mark for the referees. Um, That was my personal opinion. In fact, I just found this out today. The referees in Game 5 were viewed to be so bad. They had two sets of referees in the finals. Um, The first set was supposed to ref Games 1, 3, 5, and 7. The second set was supposed to ref Games 2, 4, and 6. The guys who ref Game 5 were so bad that the guys who ref Game 6 were called back to ref for Game 7. That's how bad they were. So, look, most calls, you know, New Orleans didn't go to the Super Bowl this year. It's just amazing to me that in the era of replay, uh, we get what we got in the NFL and we get what we got in Game 5 on that non-tripping call. It was one of the most, it was, it was so egregious uh, that Bosak looked at the ref and said, what, me? which is what they always do when they commit a penalty. So it was, I thought it was a block mark for the game. I'm not saying that the Blues would not have won the game or the Cup. I'm just saying in a game five to have that. And the guy suspended when it wasn't even a penalty call during the game. That's a big problem for the NHL, in my opinion. 
Well, again, this is not going to sound uh, anything other than biased on my part, but you know what? In watching these games and all the dives that the Bruins were taking left and right that they were getting away with, I mean, to me, that's a little bit of cosmic payback. I, I realize that I'm not delivering the unbiased commentary that some might be looking for, but to, to these jaded eyes, everything evened out in that one moment there, even if, uh, unsurprisingly, uh, the folks up in Harvard, yeah, might not see it that way. I'm guessing... The folks in Philly probably didn't see it that way either, Joe Stazak. And uh, watching this uh, play out, another city like Cleveland, uh, I always speak of the affinity between our two cities, another city with a great loathing for all Boston sports teams. So I'm sure that there was a lot of joy in Philly where it all ended there. By the way, the, the very birthplace, as it were. I mean, so many different things with Philadelphia here, whether it be uh, the thing that people in Philly are sick about with Santa Claus getting pelted with snowballs, the Liberty Bell getting cracked, and oh yes, the first time that Gloria gets played for some of the St. Louis Blues players. So uh, a, a wonderful little contribution that Philadelphia makes uh, to the history of the NHL here. And uh, I said to good friend Russ Cohen, who was at Game 7 covering at FDH Lounge Dignitary and Sportsology Proprietor Russ Cohen, I said, please tell me somebody on the Blues bench has got a ghetto blaster to play Gloria after the game's done. There needs to be somebody skating that out on the ice. I didn't happen to hear it bleed through on NBC, so I'm not sure that it necessarily happened. But, you know, as, as you were watching it play out, Joe, what were some of the things you were thinking about? Because, again, there was a surprising amount of, as we said, futility from Boston at even strength. There was uh, a lot of resilience, really, from both teams during the course of the series. They, they had a lot of momentum shifts here you, you get games where a team kind of comes out flat and then the next time out they come back and kind of dominate it was uh an interesting series in that way where you really couldn't get a, too much of a read on what was going to happen in the next game based on what had gone in the previous game of course games four five six and seven are very good examples of that right there certainly so what were some of your primary thoughts as you were watching all this play out joe well, guys, it's simple. It was all about Gloria. There's Absolutely. No way to describe it. I love it. All about it. Gloria. Yep. God bless Gloria uh, Brannigan. That, that's, that's, I mean, I've the nuts and bolts. The story is so bizarre that Gloria and Brannigan, that song jumped to number 37 in the iTunes, um, the, the Billboard's top 100. It moved up to 37. Uh, Anheuser-Busch, stationed in St. Louis now as a glory of brew. They're celebrating <laughs> the, uh, the, the, the championship. And a couple stations played it for 48 hours straight back to back. Unbelievable. I mean, it started in Philadelphia, and they've come under a lot of criticism. This Jack's New Year Brigade. Uh, for all the uh, patrons now turning into blues fans, you know, <laughs> oh, this on the flyers. I'm okay with having a little fun with it. It's just, it's a cool story. It's just you know, kind of. I think it makes Philadelphia look okay for once. You know, they get hammered for everything else. Like like you said, the, the Santa Claus, which happened like 100 years ago, they're still hearing about it, and uh, some of the other uh, transgressions. But I thought it was a, a cool story. I thought it made Philadelphia look good. Anyway, um, yeah, I agree with. I thought the key to the finals was exactly what Steve said, shutting down the top line, Bergeron, Pasternak, and Marshawn. They scored five goals in seven games combined. Five on five, they were a minus 17. Five on five, minus 17. It was unbelievable. So, again, a tremendous job by the Blues. Um, You're right, Rick. 
uh, I think we, we actually had a station meeting about other things, but uh, someone asked, took a poll and who was root for who. Not one hand went up for Boston. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think 12 championships in 19 years is enough. You know, we were, we were thrilled that we had one Super Bowl and one World Series. It was, you know, within a uh, nine-year span before that. 25 years before that. I mean, it's unbelievable, the story of Boston. But one thing was, I'm, I'm Boston fatigued. And even if they didn't win 12 championships, you know, I rooted hard for them. I love the story. Uh, last place, January 3rd. You know, Bernie takes over from Lake Yale in November. I still have no idea how a thug becomes a good coach. But, uh, you know, <laughs> hey, you got to give him credit. I, I actually was successful here, but they gave up on him. Uh, and, again, the team didn't have talent, so it's hard to judge when you got no talent. Unless you're Barry Trotz, you seem to take every team and turn them around. Right. Uh, again, I thought the top line, and I thought Bennington was phenomenal. Um, he went 16 in the playoffs, 26 starts. His GAA was 2.46. Regular season, it was 1.89. I mean, silly numbers for a rookie. 25-year-old rookie. I saw the Blues, like you said, Rick, always bounce back from a bad loss. Always bounce back from a, from a tough loss. They were resilient the whole way. I also, uh, I tell Steve and I tell the listeners all the time, to win a championship, you need to do things. you got to stay healthy. And you, need some, you need a critical, positive place somewhere along the line when you're facing you know, doom and gloom. And you also need to get a break here or there. Got the break with the no ball on the trip in game five, and they scored 20 seconds later. Uh, they stayed pretty healthy, and um, they went double overtime in game seven against the Stars. They peppered Ben Bishop for 54 shots, and they won 2-1. to one. That was the critical moment. They faced elimination. Um, they also trailed 3-2 in that series. They trailed the Sharks 2-1 to one in that series. And since that crazy hand pass, it resulted in Eric Carlson overtime goal, they went 3-0 and the rest of the series. They just shut it down. Didn't bother them at all. And then, of course, winning a game seven on the road. After they got dropped seven to two in game three, I'm like, this is going sideways. You know, it looks like they blew a two-goal lead in game one. They got dropped in game three. I thought they would tie the series, and I liked the Blues a little bit, but after they lost game six, five to one, I questioned it because it's tough to win on the road. Although the Bruins won their cup in Vancouver for nothing many years ago, 2011. But it's uh, it's not an easy thing to do. And they only got 20 shots on through the and converted on four of them. Uh, not his best game, but they were, they were pretty good opportunities from the Blues. I thought their forechecking was superlative. Seemed like they won every battle for the puck. But Bruins were a little off. Hand off from shots, pucks going under sticks, getting caught in their feet. It just wasn't their finest moment. But uh, again, I love the story. They are the last of the expansion teams in 67-68 to win a cup. If you count the Golden Seals that went to the Cleveland uh, Barons and then they went to Minnesota North Stars, they merged. And then Dallas won a cup. I don't know if you can count that. <laughs> Other than that, last team in to win a cup. Um, you know, if you listen to Gary Bettman, um, they weren't because apparently uh, he said, bringing the cup back to St. Louis. Yeah. I bet you. Um, Gary, yeah. They've never won a cup. Everyone knows that. Right. They look like a doofus, uh, total doofus. But, uh, you know, again, I thought the story was beautiful. They, uh, they had to beat two number two seeds in the third round and the fourth round. And in Boston, they played well. 
Washington got knocked out. Tampa Bay got knocked out. Um, they played a five seed, an eight seed, and a seven seed, and then they played the Blues, the five seed. And, uh, you know, they played well enough to win the Blues did in critical moments, especially in game seven, but they won a bit more. And uh, I was I was thrilled to see them win. Even if I, I wasn't looking against Boston, I, I think it's a great story. You know, Bennington was tremendous. You know, Ryan uh, O'Reilly, he just won the Celtics Award tonight, by the way, best defensive forward. And, uh, you know, I, I thought just a tremendous performance. Yeah, they had only Dave Bowmeister was the only player on the Blues to not score in the playoffs. Didn't have a goal. Everyone else contributed. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly, 23 points. Jaden Schwartz, 20. I mean, uh, Benko had 17. And he got a lot of contributions from the lesser players. Uh, um, you know, the great Shens of the world. And you know, he scored a goal in Game 7. And, um they controlled that game pretty much outside the first 10 minutes, 15 minutes, where they weathered the storm. And kept him in that game, and uh, I think he had 32 saves in the game. Tremendous performance, and hats off to the Blues. Absolutely, and uh, to build on a couple things you said there, yeah, St. Louis bottoming out, last in the league in points right around the beginning of the year, and uh, I, I always do on the FDH Lounge blog, a uh, twice-monthly ranking of uh, power ranking of the teams. I remember distinctly having St. Louis 31 and being very surprised that I was doing so at that point in time. Like, wow, how are they so bad this year? And then, of course, when they regressed to the mean, they did so like a mofo. By the way, uh, we dish it out and we take it on this show. So I did reference uh, Philly uh, pelting Santa Claus with a snowman in that same spirit show, Stazak. We are right about at the 50-year mark of when the Cuyahoga River caught on fire. I believe Johnny Carson referenced that on a nightly basis until approximately 1988. So we have our own shame that I will invoke since I invoked yours. But yeah, this is yeah, right. What, it's the 50-year anniversary. Sorry, for what it's worth, Santa Claus was drunk, <laughs> and his outfit was terrible. His beard was on, like sideways or backwards. You know, you can make an argument he deserved it. Yeah. It really, really was. So yeah, so your city, my city, every city has got stuff uh, that I suppose they'd rather not talk about in the annals of their uh, history, but uh, in uh, pivoting back around uh, to you, Steve, as far as getting any uh, remaining thoughts here that you have. Uh, again, Bennington did re- play really, really outstanding. Uh, you know, a, again, what a regular season run, strong through the playoffs when he needed to be. You could make a case for both him and O'Reilly, but again, uh, in terms of the ballots being split evenly, it, it rarely, if ever, goes that way. And for O'Reilly to score in four straight games in the Cup Finals, I think the first guy to do that since Gretzky, it was going to be hard to deny him under the circumstances. And uh, again, and I kept saying through a good part of the year that I still felt like Tarasenko was their best player. But uh, And again, not that he played poorly, but I might have to reconsider that notion, uh, particularly in light of, as Joe said, him getting the Selkie and now being recognized as the finest defensive forward in the, in the league right now. But, uh, again, uh, any remaining thoughts that you have, uh, Steve, on what yeah. we just saw and what we have coming up uh, in, in the off season to look forward to potentially as a result of what just happened? I, I have a few thoughts on the cup final. And the first thing is, to his credit, um, and 
I know John knows this. Barubi gave him grief earlier in the year that he's going to have to defend better, and he did. To me, he kind of went Ovechkin-like. And, and by that, I mean Ovechkin changed his game to be more of a defensive player. I think Tarasenko is Ovechkin. He's not. But Tarasenko became more of a defensive player, still three goals in the finals. Uh, did kind of take a back seat now to other guys. He might still be the best offensive player. But you're right, what, what Ryan O'Reilly did... Uh, He's, a, he's also the first guy to score in uh, four games in a row in a seven-game Stanley Cup final. And as you both know, I'm sure, he had two goals in uh, game four. So for the good five goals in the final in the last four games is as close as you can get. And, yeah, he's an excellent defender as well. My point on Bennington is they went nowhere, even with Barubi as coach for a couple of months. Bennington was the difference, and I understand the concept is for the entire playoffs, but just picked game seven perfectly. They could have, Boston could have easily been up one or two nothing in, in game seven. Bennington kept them in the game until O'Reilly scored, um, and I think, uh, uh, I actually saw the vote, you know, there were 18 first place votes, and, and uh, Bennington only got five, so hmm. maybe I'm wrong in my analysis, but again, if you look at all the things, what Joe says, if you're winning a game seven in double overtime, two to one, the goalie has to get a lot of credit for that. If you're winning virtually every game after a loss, he was 14 and two the whole season, uh, nine or ten of them, those wins must have come in the cup because he was 16 and 10. So it's hard to say how good he was. And I understand save percentages. They both had Tuka Rask and he both had identical save percentages in the finals, 9, 0.912, 91.2%. And Rask for the entire, some people are saying, oh, Rask should have gotten it. But I, I, I don't think you can give it to a losing goalie in the finals, no. even, even if he had played really well. And Joe and I have jokingly talked about uh, Glenn Hall when he was the St. Louis goalie when they won the expansion division and lost three years in a row. They got swept. The first year, Glenn Hall, they were playing, St. Louis was playing the Canadians. And everybody knew the Canadians were going to sweep. But the Canadians won every goal by every game by one goal, and the final was in overtime. So they gave Glenn Hall the con Smythe. I can understand that in that situation. These could have been all 6 nothing games. But I think Bennington, I wish they could have given it out to both of them. Because, yeah, what Riley did was historic, and he's a great defensive forward. And he led the whole playoffs in scoring first tied for first. And he led the finals in scoring, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, a couple of other quick things, though. I wanted to talk briefly about the physicality, and I'm not saying these are the Bart Street bullies, but everybody's talking about how fast the league is now, and all that is true. But I thought physicality, physicality won out today against San Jose. And so now, as I picked San Jose to win the Stanley Cup, Rick, before the season started, they had be traded for Eric Carlson. Wow. Because I thought I, Eric Carlson is, in my view, one of, if not the defenseman in the NHL and has been for a number of years. Uh, and all he did, by the way, in the playoffs was lead all playoff scorers and assists with 16. I think he was just passed in the last game or two of the finals by somebody who obviously played seven or eight more games than he did. But the plan, and they made no bones about it, St. Louis' plan was to beat up, legally, was to beat up Eric Carlson and hurt him and did. And he got hurt a couple of times. He was not Eric Carlson for a lot of that series. And in the finals, and I'm kind of against this, I don't recall, maybe you guys do, I was even trying to look it up, I don't recall people getting suspended in the Stanley Cup finals. St. Louis did not one but two guys, one play of which was not even a penalty called in that weird 
in five. Right. So uh, I think there's something to kind of the return of toughness. I read something from the, uh, I think it was the St. Louis GM, who said, oh, we only want big defensemen. The only big defensemen are gigantic. Mm-hmm. You know, Boston has the crew guy who's like 5'9". Mm-hmm. Not a good player. But there is a theory now, if they can skate, that you want gigantic defensemen, and I'll, I'll say physical punishment is back. Look, the West has been bigger than the East for a number of years. They're just bigger. San Jose, the Kings, and now St. Louis. These guys are just bigger. Those teams, for whatever reason, or maybe you have to be big to compete in the West as opposed to the East. I think the East would be a little faster. But I think that's a little bit of a change, and I think you're going to see guys now try and get skating big men, if you will, um, and inflict a little punishment. Uh, Not fighting. Fighting is way down, but... Uh, just general hard checking. Not that Boston didn't do their own, they did. But, um, I think that was a big part of what made the St. Louis Blues champion. I'm not taking away from Skittle, but I think that was a big part of what they did both to San Jose, and again, Philly admitted it. Announced the second of the game. Yeah, part of the game plan is, is to hit Carlson every time we could. And he hurt a couple times in that series. So it worked out. They won the cup. Game five was a little not cool. That's just me. I don't care. Um, I, I don't want Boston to win, certainly. Either. Uh, but, I, no, I just thought it was. Uh, the other thing we'd be remiss if we didn't mention, Joe kind of brought it up. Um, St. Louis on the road, I've never heard of such a thing. They were 10-3 and three on the road, 6-7 and seven at home. I haven't heard any reasonable explanation for that. But once they stayed the course early and Bennington made those saves and then went up one nothing, I thought that was the game. But unlike Joe, and I give Joe Stasek a lot of credit on the air, he liked St. Louis. He liked them after that 7-2 game. I did not. He liked them after that 5-1 loss. I did not. Uh, but they got the job done, and, uh, you know, you got to give them credit. That's right, yeah. There's no question about it. And, and, yeah, the physicality did play a big role in that. Boston being a physical team as well in their own right, so that was one of the things that made for a very interesting merging of styles here in the finals. Uh, turning to you, uh, Joe, any remaining thoughts that you have on uh, this year's Stanley Cup Finals? Well, just, you know, Steve talks about this all the time. It, it, can't, it almost can't happen in basketball, um, and, and it can happen in football. The Sixties, you know, Patrick did a few years ago. Uh, when they won their title in 2010. And hockey, more than any sport, you can kind of come out of nowhere and back up from the postseason. Look, the Kings were in eighth seed in 2012, and, uh, you know, they, they won a cup uh, coming from an eighth seed. The Flyers were seventh seed in 2010. They made it to the finals. And then the Blues, uh, albeit uh, a five seed, they only had 99 points this year. And, again, they come out of nowhere. Um Steve brought up an excellent point. I was going to mention something about this because um, the strategy was to hit Carlson, their best player, every chance they had. Not only do you bang someone up by doing that, but they become very exhausted trying to fight off the physicality that you're opposing on. Remember the Flyers won their first cup in 74. Um, Fred Shiro, Freddie the Fog, his game plan and his strategy hit Bobby or every chance they had, every opportunity they had, they won the cup. And I remember Joe Watson, uh, defenseman for the Flyers, happened to be, uh, I used to work with him, a friend of mine, he told me, and he used to room with the work before they both 
proposed. She said, yeah, I was having a beer with her afterwards. Not right afterwards, but like we just made it worse. You guys ran me every chance you had, and it exhausted me. And that was one of the reasons that they, you know, kind of came up short. And I think that's the reason, you know, one reason Sharks came up short. And that. He did have a big goal in overtime with the hand pass, but it was so resilient. And I mentioned you got to have some breaks along the way and make a positive um, play in a critical juncture. Again, beating stars, uh, coming back from three to two down in that series. Two to one in the Boston series. You got to get breaks. There was a no call that resulted in a goal that made it two nothing. And I thought the critical moment in Game Seven, um, Boston had the puck in the Blues end with about 18 seconds left. All of a sudden, Blues um, take the puck and they start the rush. Brad Marchand was trying to make it seem, trying to get off the ice, but um, uh, James Schwartz was bearing down on him. And I know he was tired. Um, Brad uh, Marshall was tired. James Schwartz went right around. Marshall made zero efforts. And he was supposed to take the man, not the puck. And basically, zero effort. And when James Schwartz went around, Marshall got off the ice. And then uh, he said, oh, well, and that can't bowl with like, it was like eight seconds left in a period. Yeah. That's a killer. Yeah. That's an absolute killer. You know, that, that makes it 2 nothing. And then uh, they did a lot of dumping. The Baruby strategy was dump and chase. And the four seconds again, I thought was um, superlative. And it just uh, goes to show you that, you know, a team can get hot at the right time, which you mentioned it all the time. You got to have a hot goaltender, which they had. The, um, uh, kind of balanced scoring. And you need star. And they had two stars in Bennington and uh, Ryan O'Reilly. And, uh, and I can't say enough about what they did. Because they faced elimination and uh, a couple times, and, and they came through. And I thought their effort was superlative in Game Seven. I thought they deserved to win the cup. Yeah, very much so. And again, the Marchant thing, uh, that that really was huge. That was a moment that really just kind of sealed what was going to happen. And uh, again, I join all of America in saying, couldn't happen to a nicer guy as far as how that played out. So, you know, yeah, this uh, this, this was a, a great story that uh, let me editorialize one more time and say ended the way that it should have, hashtag play Gloria and all of that. And, uh, yeah, the, the summer of Laura Branigan continues to unfold. And uh, I'll tell you what, man, that could be like a made-for-TV movie as far as, like, her manager and everything like that, to go from being, like, somebody's number one fan to all of a sudden becoming their manager, then boom, tragedy hits, keeper of the flame, you know, but it's a low-profile gig all these years, let's be honest, and then 2019 happens, and this woman is being invited to St. Louis to represent her in the finals and everything like that. What, what a great story for her uh, to be able to uh, represent for her idol-slash-client, and that's that's the only thing. It just uh, If only Laura Brannigan could have been here to see this, but uh, it was an amazing story. Nonetheless, and one that, uh, again, it was a pleasure to be able to see and a pleasure to be able to talk about with you two gentlemen. Thank you both very much for being here today. Thank you, everybody, for checking out FDH Lounge Mini episode number 1124. As we bring the show to a close, we would like to extend our deepest gratitude to NBC, CBS, ABC, Fox, all clear channel affiliates, TNT, TBS, USA, UPN, Deadspin.com, YouTube.com, YTMND.com, MySpace.com, various blogs, Fox News, CNN, CNBC, MSNBC, IAMBoard.com, Billboard.com, Google.com, 
ESPN, ESPN2, ESPN News, ESPN Classic, NBA TV, NFL Network, Sports Time Ohio, Athlon Magazine, Comedy Central, Cartoon Network, The Boomerang Channel, QVC, BET, The Spice Channel, Steno Notebooks, Manwich, Papermate Office Supplies, Waitresses, Strippers, Bartenders, Garbage Men, Janitors, Microwave Popcorn, The Writers of The Office, Scrubs, Entourage, My Name is Earl, Oz, Metalocalypse, and The Boondocks, Aquafina, and The Periodic Table of Elements.